a routine that should be a lifestyle. And as I was reading that, I began to realize how negligent as Christians we have been towards the very nature of reading God's Word. He shares his story and I share a lot of similarity to what he said. He said, I've been a Christian for 30 or 40 years and to my, uh, to my embarrassment and to the shame of my testimony, he says, I don't even know the Bible the way it should be known. I can quote one scripture here, one scripture there. I have an arsenal of scriptures, maybe about 10 to 12 scriptures that I quote often. I am the way, the truth, and the life. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. You know, call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things. So on and so forth. But He says it's saddening that Christians who, are, who claim to say they are the people of the book and yet for 30 years, 20 years, 15 years of being Christian and the only scriptures they seem to have in, embedded in them are those 10 to 15 scriptures. That is troubling. We as Christians must learn to love the Bible. If I can say anything at all in the opening of the sermon, it would be your prayer life is equally important to your time of reading the Word of God. They're both equally important. I was reading about taxi drivers in London, and this came up on an, uh, on, 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 uh, on an app that I read from often, and uh, this was a story about this London taxi drivers, and they came to the conclusion that many of these uh, taxi drivers in London have their brains stimulated and they claim to say with the new research that London taxi drivers not only have larger than average memory centers in their brains, but also their intensive training is responsible for the growth. So scientists is concluding that these taxi drivers in London have one of the greatest, if not the best, memories in the world. Taxi drivers. And the reason they concluded that is because every taxi driver who wants to become a qualified, licensed driver in London must undergo what is known as a test called the knowledge. The knowledge is a test that they sit for for a span of three to four years. They cannot master it any shorter than that. For three to four years, they have to sit down. They have to memorize every single road in London. 25,000 streets in London. So the test challenges these taxi drivers to the point that if you want to be qualified, if you want to be licensed to drive a taxi, you need to be able to know this 25,000 streets in that span of time. But not only must you know the 25,000 streets, you need to know them 10 km out this way, out this way, out this way, out north, south, east and west. You have to know 10 km down that path where it goes. You have to memorize the streets. 
So they, they, they concluded that that is why the London taxi drivers have some of the greatest memories in the world. You go up and read up on it, the knowledge. But I want to talk to you in correlation to that about memorizing and meditating on the Word. Meditating on the Word of God is a command we find in Scripture. It is a command seasoned with a promise. In the text that we're about to read, we just heard uh, on Friday night, just as uh, uh, um, uh, this man, David Paulson, so wonderfully put it, he said, Moses was given a command to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, while Joseph or Joshua was given the command to lead them into the promised land. So there is a correlation, there is a direct correlation between the two, the counterpart of it, one leading out, one leading in. And in that, in that journey to cross the Jordan, to battle the, uh, the Jericho, and to win the battle at Ai, and all of that came with a command that God left with Joseph at, jo sorry, Joshua at first. The command was simple. If he was to see victory succeed or to happen in life, it was going to come by his simple adherence to this command. Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, the Bible says, the book of the law, this book of the law, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So God is giving Joshua a, the new leader for the children of Israel. He is now appointed. He has been designated to lead them into, uh, uh, thank you, son, into the promised land. He has been instructed to be the man who will lead them to the place where God has destined for them to go to. But the seemingly critical wisdom that God leaves with this man is meditate on the law day and night. Nothing else. God doesn't tell him much on what to do. I mean, unless it is not written in the scripture, but what was important and what is necessary for us to grasp is God told Joshua the simple yet vital instruction, meditate on the book of the law. Now, what does that mean? The law, the book of the law represents the Torah. The, five, the first five books that was written by Moses. Right? And essentially, if you know anything about Hebrew or uh, historical language, they would use the word Pentateuch. The word Pentateuch was the five books written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And this word Pentateuch, just bear with me for a moment because it's important I tell you this, is the Greek word Pente, which means five. Theokos, which means book. So Pentateuch means five vessels or in a different form, five containers or in a different word, five volumes of books. 
So now God was the author of those books. Moses simply penned it. He heard from God and he laid those words into the pages. And this is what God is instructing Moses. Contextually, we can say that is the law. But in, in, in reality, that was a command from God. And what is God instructing Joshua to do? Meditate. 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 I want to visit that word with you and I want to consider that word with you, meditate, because it is more than just contemplation. It's more than just you contemplating an idea. It's more than that. It is the idea that when you meditate, you should reflect in a thoughtful way, appropriating its truths personally and applying them to life. So meditating requires that I find the best way to apply this to my life. The word used in our, con- in our text, the word meditate, is the word muse over, M-U-S-E, over. The word muse over simply describes to ponder. In other words, God was telling Joshua, the law which I gave Moses, right? I'm the author of that law. I'm the one who provided that. I'm the one who provided the instruction. I'm a, and, and so God is saying, I am the one you are supposed to. Whatever words I gave to Moses, he put down, you are going to follow that. And this word muse over simply describes, to meditate simply describes to mutter to himself. In other words, as he walks around day in and day out, he's reflecting on what, he, what he's reading. He's constantly saying it. He's muttering it. He's muttering it. He's pondering it. Well, what, what, what did God mean? That? God said, you know, you shall not bear false witness. You shall not bear false. You shall not bear false. You shall not. And he's pondering it. One man said meditating is like the mind chewing. The mind is chewing. You know, when you eat something, you're there. And you chew and you chew and you chew and you chew and you chew. That's what meditating is. It's your chewing on what our daily bread. Day and night. So that itself is a cause for concern because how many of us here read a scripture and we just walk away, forget what we read? We don't meditate. We don't chew on it day in and day. We don't reflect on it as we're going through, as we're cooking maybe, as we're driving maybe. What did God mean by that? Meditate. To ponder as you're working. To ponder in your time of lunch, in your time of quiet. To ponder. To meditate. We must bear in mind, beloved, that it was the law of God that became the guiding force for the entire journey. Yet as true as that is, listen very carefully to me, as true as that is, we as Christians say this is the most important book we hold in our hand. 
We say, we claim, this is the instruction manual for us. But I ask you this morning a very examining question. How much of time do I spend reading? It was the only instruction God gave them to reach the promised land. I picked up a, 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 a statistic that I thought was very interesting. We have more access to scripture than any other point in history, this author says. A study recently found that 88% of Christians own a Bible. More than this, it's estimated that the average family has about 4.7 Bibles in their homes. And with the invention of technology, virtually every person on the planet has access to the Bible electronically. In fact, if every physical Bible was destroyed, it would be nearly impossible to erase the digital witness of Scripture on the internet. However, despite having such access to the Bible in our modern age, listen to the paradox of it. Listen to this, beloved. It seems as though you have all this access, but our appetite for the Word of God has greatly diminished. In fact, a more recent survey revealed that 48% of Christian adults are completely disengaged from Bible reading. They don't even read, except on the day when we come to Sunday, turn to Joshua chapter 1. 48%. With another 9% claiming they interact with the Bible sporadically, maybe once a week, twice a week, three times a week, here and there, touch and go. This shows us, listen to what this author says, very profound. This shows us the Bible has little to no impact on the lives of nearly six out of ten Christians. So we call ourselves Christians, but a good 60% of Christianity today don't even regularly read the Bible. Can I tell you this morning, beloved, this book has got power. When you read it long enough, it will change your life. And I wonder, when we remove the Word of God from our families, when we no longer read it the way we should, when we no longer expose our homes to the Word of God the way we should, I wonder if the problems, the chaos, the troubles, the issues that we're facing, I wonder as a nation, if only the Word of God was more permitted to be exposed and revealed in our culture. I wonder... Because the truth is, beloved, where the Word of God is allowed to be ministered, there's always been prosperity and blessing. 
If you remove that equation, when they limit the permitted, the, the permitted word of God to be taught or to be preached or to be ministered, when they stop that, you can see a nation in, 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 in example to that, America, you can see the downhill of what is happening, beloved. You can see what is transpiring in the nation. You can observe that the moment they remove God out of the equation, the moment the word of God no longer becomes the guiding force, the life becomes barren, cursed. Because the Bible says, the law of God, meditate on it. They said during COVID, post-COVID, 52% of Christians read their Bible regularly. Post-COVID in 2021, that number dropped from 52 to about 26 to 25%. People don't read it anymore. They don't spend time with God's Word anymore. They don't spend time reading to know. And then we wonder why are there all of this chaos? Beloved, I say to you that the Word of God is more than sufficient to equip us for completion. We all search to be completed. We all search to finish the journey that God has put us on. We all want to complete the journey and reach the promised land. Can I tell you, if you don't read any other books, the book that you need to be reading is the Word of God. You need to be spending time reading the Word of God. During the 16th century in Europe, the Protestant reformers, many of you know Martin Luther, you don't know him personally, but you know about him. Okay. I said like you know him like as though, yeah, he's my friend. Like, yeah. I'll text him later, that kind of thing. No, no. You know about him. You've heard about him. You've read his biography. He was the man who spearheaded what we call the Protestant movement. He was the man that came up with 95 theses and laid that 95 objections on the door of the Catholic Church. He was the man who went and said, we must take our authority from the Word of God. So there was a debate that transpired in that period of time. And I'm just going to share with you some of what happened in that time. One of the key issues was the issue of authority. So the Protestants believed one thing while the Catholics believed in a different thing. And what happened is the question came, who has the right to tell us what to do? Okay? Who has the right to tell us? So the Roman Catholic Church claimed that the church itself, Vatican, has the power to tell you what to do. The scripture, the tradition, had supreme authority over all the people. Okay? But the Protestants, Martin Luther, the Reformers, decided and they insisted, we're not going to take instructions from a man merely. We're not going to take instructions from a person who claims or says this is what, and they can change their mind about it. But he says, sola scriptura. The word sola scriptura is the definition of scripture 
alone. So the reformers decided that our authority doesn't come from another human being. Our authority doesn't come from someone who says, oh, you ought to practice this or practice. No, our authority comes from what God says in His Word. And so the reformers fought this through and they, uh, they concluded that the only instruction they will, uh, they will receive from is the Scripture and the Scripture alone. They said it's the ultimate authority. There was nothing short of a battle over authority and the sufficiency of the Word of God. So you see the battle that transpired was a battle of who has the final say. And that is exactly the battle we have to determine every day of our lives. Who has the final say on how I live my life? The Word of God or the world? Is the Word of God sufficient enough to keep its promises when I, when I live and abide by it? Is the Word of God Sufficient enough. The Bible tells us, indeed it is, in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 to 17, the Bible says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it is enough. That is why he told Joshua, meditate on the law. This is enough for you. Now, please don't take it to the other tangent and, 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 and conclude that I'm not advocating for you to read any other material or read any other books. No, but you must firstly be grounded and rooted in this book. You must have a foundation that is firm in this book. You must know why God says what He says. You cannot be, you know, uh, 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 wavering and moving from side to side. Oh, one day I agree, another day I disagree. The authority that God gives must become the final say in everything that we do. That's what God was telling Joshua. Meditate on this law. This law is sufficient to help you finish the journey. You don't need anything else, Joshua. If you just read the fiber, if you just meditate on the fiber, if you just follow the law, if you just adhere to my word, you will complete this journey. Knowing the law was pertinent, so important for the journey. Knowing why we believe, what we believe, why we tithe, why we pray, why we come, why we worship, why we seek God, why we... Do all that we do is important. Please, don't just say, my pastor does it. The Bible says. The Bible instructs. The Bible commands. The Bible tells us. And that is so important for the journey. Your knowledge of the Word of God is important for the journey. That is what God was instructing Joshua in our passage. His insight concerning the law would become an important component to complete the journey. The journey to the promised land 
was the reason God delivered them from Egypt. Listen very carefully to me. Why did God even go through all that hassle to fight Pharaoh to lead them out of Egypt? Ultimately, because God wanted to take them away into the promised land. That was the, that was the destiny. That was the destination. That was the final uh, a point where God was leading them to. And I say to you, beloved, that's same for you and I, that God's purpose for us is to one day go into heaven and spend eternity with God. That is God's final desire. That is what He wants for all of us to enjoy one day. But can I tell you, failing to meditate on the Word of God will not get you there. Failing to meditate. Let's not talk about reading it. People read it. And what, how do we read? Oh, okay, I go to Matthew chapter 9, 16 to 20. Da, 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 da. I read my Bible, finish. And we close it off. I, I want to introduce to you something. Don't read the Bible like that. Read a book at a time. I, I really do challenge you to do that. Every day. If you're going to read a minimum of one chapter, read a book. Because as we have heard, the, the very beginning, the very writings of the scripture was never intended to be with numbers. It was all true. We added the numbers in for simplicity. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. We added it in. But if you go back to history, the numbers were not there. So can you imagine you open a book you want to read and you jump to page 134? You have no clue. All of a sudden you're reading chapter 8, few pages after chapter 8 and you're like, okay. And that's why people take what they want to take and misuse it. See, see, God said, I can marry that guy, what? Where in the Bible? He says, blessed. And they connect it. They find a way to put this in. They find a way to put it and justify their action. Christians do that always. They're notorious for doing that. God says, God says, you know, He wants you to prosper and He wants you. And then they misuse the scripture. They take one scripture and they misuse it. And they abuse it. Didn't God say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? True. But did you con contextually read that? What was Paul going through when that statement was given to him? Do you know? He was not talking about the strength to be able to do all things. He was talking about the contentment. It was different. You know how Christians go that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what we are saying, that means God will give me strength to do anything. Even the wrong I can do, even the right I can do anything. Even God, God will give me strength. No, that was not the meaning of the scripture. The meaning of the actual scripture is, God has given me contentment. I have enough to finish what I started. You see? We can take anything we want and twist it to mean it what we want it to mean. This is the danger. And this is why, beloved, meditating on the Word has effects. Let me give you some backing to science as I bring this down. I can't go long. I, I, I went so long last week uh, that I think they were quite mad with me. <laughs> no, they don't. They, they, they love me. Anyway, <laughs> meditating 
does something to you and I, to the brain. Listen to me. God is the author of science. God is the greatest scientist. Everything that happens connects, makes sense, because God is the author of science. When anyone tells you, oh, you know, we don't believe what the scientists say, that's rubbish. God is the greatest author of it. The point is, when you study about meditating, meditating does something to your brains. It thickens the prefrontal cortex. The brain center, your prefrontal cortex, is the executive center where a lot of your decisions are made. Decisions that are necessary to be made are made from the prefrontal cortex. When your prefrontal cortex gets thinner and thinner and thinner, you cannot make good decisions. You constantly make bad decisions because you cannot, the, the right word I'm trying to think of is you cannot evaluate the situation. So at that moment, this is why having a good night's sleep is important. This is why doing what is necessary in resting your mind is important. In being able to just be in silence for a while is important because what it does is it increases your awareness. It thickens your prefrontal cortex with all the, the screen and the lights that illuminates from our screen today. It has science backing that says that it begins to diminish and reduce the prefrontal cortex. Listen, beloved, in the next 15, 20, 30, 40 years, we will see more people with Alzheimer's disease. People with forgetfulness. Because once your prefrontal cortex has become so thin, your awareness, your clarity, the ability to make executive decisions becomes less able to. So God says, meditate on the Word. Why? Because when you focus yourself on the Word of God, when you meditate, when you are pondering, you read the passage in the morning, but you go through the whole day muttering it out. You go through the whole day chewing on that very word that you read. What did God mean? What did God? You're thinking, you're thinking. Every time you get a gap in between where you are doing nothing, you're thinking, you're thinking, you're meditating on it. On that day you're meditating, it begins to develop and thicken your prefrontal cortex. It increases your awareness it increases your concentration and it helps you make decisions. And this is no mystery why God uses the word meditate. It's not a coincidence. Listen carefully. The devil wants to stop Christians from spending time with this book. But God says meditate. Not merely read. Not merely go through, glance through, pick a scripture, read it here, read it there, finish, okay, I'm done, finish, kautim. No, God wants you to think about it. Meditate. Meditate. And when that happens, you realize that your mind becomes clear. Your mind becomes alert. 
your mind becomes aware. That's why, that's why people often say, Pastor, I can't read the Bible. I'm so distracted. That's why you need to read the Bible. Pastor, I can't read. I'm so discouraged. That's why you need to read. Because the very tool the enemy uses to keep you in debt is keep you away from reading the Bible. If he can keep you away from meditating, if he can keep you away from pondering the word, what does God mean in this passage? Then he can keep you blurred-minded. He can keep you blacked out. He can keep you blanked. He can keep you distracted. And he can keep you completely unaware. And this is exactly what's happening today with Christians. I ask you a very simple, how much of time, honestly, do you spend a day reading the Bible? Ask yourself, why does the devil distract us so much from that? Because he knows the power it has on your mind. So he keeps you. That's why I said this is a very important subject matter. Christians are falling off like flies on the wall. Used to read in the past. But nowadays the interest is gone. It doesn't matter. We are reading Joshua and Jonah. Um, I hope you're following. Why does the church do that? Because we want to equip you. Why do I show videos on Friday nights? Because I want to equip you. When your mind is clear, you have victory. Meditating involves focus. It involves silence. And it involves pondering, deep thinking. So what does God want us to do with His Word? He wants us to focus when we are reading. Not just read it for the sake of... A common, normal person would just simply glance through, or oh, today they use their phone. And I, I got no problem with that. I'm not, I'm not saying anything wrong about that. Don't get me... But I'm saying that we just glance. And we can be Christians for 30 years and the only scriptures we can quote is that 15 or 20 scriptures. Trouble is brewing, beloved, when Christians don't love God's word anymore. Meditate on the law. Why is there chaos? So the point I'm making this morning is that more than reading, we must meditate. Let me bring this to a close. I'm trying to conclude this morning. J.C. Ryle made a powerful observation. J.C. Ryle said, Let us resolve to meditate more on the Bible. It is good to take two or three texts with us when we go out into the world. So you read it, you have two or three texts in your mind and you meditate on that for that day. 
Are you with me? So you, you, you remind yourself. You remind, and we'll talk about how you, how you can effectively do that. There are people who say you can have flashcards. You can buy flashcards from the stationery shop, a three by five flashcards. Maybe you can put it in your phone wallet. And then every time you open, you look at it and you read it. You remind yourself of the scripture again and again and again. By the time you get through in the next seven days, I mean, you, you would have remembered, you would have been able to meditate and memorize at least 21 different scriptures. 14 scriptures in a week. That, that, that essentially is what the devil doesn't want you to have and to do. So he says, when we go into the world, turn them over and over in our minds whenever we have a little leisure. It keeps out the many vain thoughts. It tightens the nail of daily reading. It preserves our soul from stagnating and breeding corrupt things. It sanctifies and quickens our memories and prevents them from becoming like those ponds where the frogs live but the fish dies. It's so true. When you meditate on the Word of God, when you meditate, nothing else has such power. I am convinced when the Bible says the Word of God has power, I am convinced this morning as I'm thinking about this, that the power the Word of God really speaks about is the power to influence the mind. No other book, no other media, no other information has the power to change your life the way the Word of God has. And this is what Christians have neglected. I don't know how you take this sermon this morning, church. I hope you can, you can sense my heart. My heart is to bring an awareness to you that this is greatly lacking in Christianity. Look around us. How many Christians you talk, you, talk to can quote a scripture to you? Hardly. They talk about the world. They talk about what this politician says. They talk about what that politician says. They can talk about whatever, you know, the so-called uh, uh, guy, you know, says on YouTube. They can talk about all of that. What did God say to you? What did the Bible say? What did Scripture say? As important as praying is, so is your reading of God's Word equally important. Let me give you another study that just recently came out. 40,000 people between the age of 8 to 80. And I, and I challenge you, go, go online. Maybe late, don't do it now, please. <laughs> yeah, I know. Straight away. <laughs> Don't. Later. Later. Nanti. Nanti dulu. Lepas. Habis gereja you buat. Go online and type out Bible illiteracy. And you will find astonishing numbers of studies of how many Christians actually have neglected the reading of God's Word. That's scary, church, because I'm trying to emphasize to you how important the Word of God is to the Christian life. And Satan has used COVID to some degree to take us away, distracting us today. 
Satan has used all that is going on around us, busyness and the schedules that we carry to really take our minds away. You cannot afford not to read the Bible. Can I challenge you for the next one week? Every day of your life, spend about 15 to 20 minutes just reading and see if your life will change. I challenge every one of you to do that. For the next one week, 15 to 20 minutes every day, lock yourself in your room if you have to. Find a quiet spot if you have to. Sit in the car if you have to. Find a place where there's no noise and say, God, and, and obviously switch your phone off and say, God, speak to me. And see what will happen one week later you will have such clarity of mind. So they did a study with 40,000 people between the age of 8 to 80 on how people were engaging in Scripture. And the study was done by two people, Arnold Cole and Pamela Cowdell. And the study was called Understanding the Bible Engagement Challenge, Scientific Evidence for the Power of Four. The study indicated that when people engaged in scripture one time a week, which could include a pastor instructing the congregation to open your Bible, that means once a week, there was negligible effect on some key areas of their life. The same result was true if people engaged in scripture two times a week. The result equal little to no effect. Three times a week, if they read their Bibles three times a week, there was a small indication of change. There was a slight pulse, a faint heartbeat, but something very unique happened when they read their Bible at least four times a week. Listen to the study. Listen to this. A steady climb of impact would obviously be expected. You read three times, now you read four times, you would think that, okay, a slight change, a slight indifference will happen. No, that's not what happened. The level was basically stagnant. The impact on the human life was barely a, a slight move for first, second, and third. But when people read for four days straight, the effects begin to literally spike in an astounding way. They found from the study that when people simply spend at least four times a day or four times a week in the Bible reading, the sense of loneliness, loneliness dropped 30%. They found that anger issues dropped by 32%. Bitterness for a person who reads four times a week the Bible, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Sharing your faith jumps 200%. Discipling others jumps 230%. So the point in, in, in mind here is this. If reading the Bible four times a week can have such an impact on a person, why aren't Christian lives changing? 
Why are they still bound? Because we excuse the reading of God's Word. I cannot tell you how many times in these recent years I've heard, Pastor, I got no desire. No desire. Ask God. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Ask for desire. Ask God for a love in His Word. and to discouraged. That's why you should read His Word. You should rile up a love. Meditate on it day and night. So leave you with some practical things as we close. Reading isn't enough this morning. The emphasis of my sermon this morning is, is beyond reading. I'm not just talking about reading it. It's so sad that today Christians don't even budge. They would watch movies, they would listen to talks, they would do, but spend barely five minutes with the word of, is that right church? Is that right? Oh, but God is a God of relationship. But God said, meditate. The Bible starts from Genesis to Revelation. The most central part of the Bible is Psalms 119. It's the most central. If you don't go by the pages, obviously. You, you have to go from the, because every book paragraphs differently and so on. But Psalms 119 is the central, the centermost part of the Bible. And I thought to myself when I came to that awareness, God could have put these passages elsewhere. Because a lot of people think that Genesis was the very first book to be written. No, Genesis wasn't. Job was. People assume that, oh, Genesis was the first book to ever get authored. No, it was Job. But Job came in later because God coordinated it, ordered the books to be laid down in that form. So I'm convinced that if God coordinated and ordered the books to be in that way, then there is a purpose why the center of the Bible is Psalms 119. Because I just want to show you, and I'm not, I'm not a, a religious superstitious freak, but there is something very profound here in Psalms 119, and in a few of those verses, I just want to read them to you. Listen to David's prayer. And Cheng Kong, if you have it, I want you to put them up. In 16, 119, 16, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 24, your testimonies also are my delight and my counsellors. 35, make me walk in the part of your commandments, for I delight in it. 47, and I will delight myself in your commandments which I love. 70, dear heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. 77, let your tender mercies come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. 
92, unless your law had been by delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. 143, trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delights. 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. The very central scriptures in the Bible revolves around the law of God. The heart of God is His Word. The heart of God is this book that we hold in our hands. And I just want us to examine our lives this morning. How have we neglected this book? How have we neglected it? How much of time do you really spend with this book? How much of time do you take daily away from your schedule to know what God says? You see, that answer this morning will explain the outcomes in your life. That if you have indeed God's word hidden in your heart, it will influence every arena of your life. What does it say? You will prosper. Can you, can you please silent that? You will prosper. And you will have good success. Listen, listen, listen. What, what, what kind of a promise is that? You will prosper and have good success. That means when I am meditating, the outcome will be proven by what happens in my life. That's the secret. So how do I bring myself to memorizing the Word of God? I close with this. It's a bit of a long sermon, but I, I have to say what I say this morning. You can do it the Joshua method. You can do it the Joshua method. You can meditate. You can memorize. You can remember and go day by day pondering what you read in the morning. That's why I love reading in the morning. I'm awake before my kids get up, before my wife gets up, I'm reading the Bible in the morning, I'm praying in the morning. I love doing that in the mornings. It's my quiet time with God. And I think that's where I, 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 I am able to have clarity of mind, that silence and that focus. And I can journey through the day pondering what I read. I repeat it to myself. Key scriptures, I repeat it. I repeat it, I repeat it, I repeat it. And, and, and that becomes so important and necessary. So you can do that. You can mutter it to yourself you know, as you're journeying, you're dropping your kids off, you're going to work, you're driving to your car, you're going to the market, you're taking a walk down uh, the, the park, you're jogging, you're exercising. You speak, you ponder, 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 ponder. Let it play in your mind. I declare, beloved, if you do that, it will change your life. 
Another thing you need to do is, uh, these are all just you know, suggestions. Uh, journal, write it down. What you read, write it down. Get those flashcards. And maybe you read a few verses from the Bible this morning. And not everything, don't write the whole of Joshua 1, please. They're key scriptures. Right? So what do you have to do? What ministers to you more? When I, when I started reading, I, I, never had a, I, I never liked reading when I was growing up. I never had the joy of reading. And I, I began to learn that, that, that one of the habits that I had to develop is I had to find what my passion was. I, I can't be reading things that don't interest me. So I started my habit of reading by finding what interested me the most. And I went to those books, I went to those type of material, I went to those type of info, and I started reading. And then I was able to remember because I had interest in those areas. You've got to find where and what interests you. Maybe as you go to the Word of God, you want to know the promises of God. Read certain books in the Bible with the promise of maybe you remember them better. Maybe you want to know, like if you ask me in the Bible, what I don't like the most is so-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know that long list of chrono- chronology? You know that, that long list of genealogy? You know, so Jesus begot so and so, David begot so and so, son of so and so, and blah blah. I I I I got no sermons to preach from that. But the point is, it's so long that sometimes it's just no interest. And you read that, you know what happened? There's no interest. You got to pick what what matters. You got to pick what what you can remember. Number three, as I as I bring this down, read it out loud. I really do encourage you. I told the church, don't, don't come to the prayer room and try reading out loud. You know, do it at home. When you're in the car, open your Bible uh, and, and read it out loud. I'm, and I'm not saying, you know, read out loud. For God so loved the world. <laughs> For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Read it out. Vocalize it. You know, we oftentimes we read and we just, some people can, some people can't. They don't remember when they read it softly. So you've got to find where your balance is. Listen to the Word of God. That's why preaching is important. These are ways you memorize. These are ways you meditate. These are ways you remember what you read in the Bible. Please, please, I know this is long-winded, but I don't know how else to emphasize to you. If you are not reading the Bible as a Christian, Your eternity is at stake. Prayer and the Word of God go hand in hand. It is the lifestyle every Christian must have. And Satan is successfully distracting people away from that. Ask God for desire. Ask God to help you and memorize those words. Can I say, practice, practice, Practice. My son says, practice doesn't make things perfect. It just makes things better. I agree. Keep practicing. Keep practicing. Practice gives improvement. Today and one year later, what would be your life from now? Don't neglect the Word of God. Bow your heads with me.